0: the gifts for glory podcast where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for god's glory know someone who is making an impact for god's kingdom using their gifts talents and passions we'd love to meet them send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. that's podcast at gifts the number four glory.com and now here is our host dave ebert Hey everybody, welcome to Gift for Glory. I am uh, your host, Dave Weaver. Really excited to have you along with us. Uh, This is a pre-recorded episode, so there's going to be comments. uh, Please feel free to do so. Uh, But uh, I can't respond to them because I'm pre-recording this. Why am I pre-recording this? Because I am currently, as you're watching this, I am in New Orleans uh, for Mardi Gras, not to celebrate, not to be a part of the festivities uh, as far as celebrating and taking in uh, the revelry, if you will. Uh, I'm actually going down as part of a ministry to go out and and to witness and to try to evangelize uh, during, uh, frankly, some very uh, uh, dark practices. Uh, Mardi Gras seems like a really fun party, but when you compare it to what Scripture tells us, to what uh, Christ puts on our hearts, uh, you know that it is actually a very dark time, a very um, um, evil time. And I don't mean that to disparage anybody that goes and, and has fun. But when you compare what Mardi Gras is and what God's word is um and what happens there and what goes on and and the the exchange of beads among other things uh you know that uh that Mardi Gras is actually very dark, and we're going down to try to bring some light to the darkness uh to try to uh encourage people to make better choices for their families and for their eternities so that's why this is recorded that's why this is uh uh, not live. I'm recording it in uh, in my at home uh, the day before we leave the day before we fly out to um, to New Orleans. Uh, the weather here in Chicago is kind of uh, kind of iffy right now, got a lot of snow and mixed rain. So uh, you know those that are watching pray that we got there safely, pray that we' returned safely. We actually as you're watching this on Monday uh, on our normal time slot 7:30 central, uh, we will be leaving tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, the 21st, because Fat Tuesday is kind of the darkest of the dark and uh, those that uh, we're going to reach will need to have reached by Tuesday because Fat Tuesday gets pretty dark, even for Mardi Gras standards. And uh, we just, uh, you know, for safety's sake and also because um, because we feel like God is going to use us the, the first four days of Mardi Gras. Uh, that then uh, we're just going to uh, make sure we get out safely and get home. Uh, we'll be home on Tuesday. Uh, so as you're watching this on Monday, pray for our safe travel back home. Uh, uh, so we uh, The team that I'm going with is from Thrive Church here in Lockport. Uh, that's, um, my wife and I, uh, that's where we are, co-children's pastors. Uh, we have three guys going, and uh, we're actually meeting a friend from Missouri uh, who is flying down there as well uh, among 120-some-odd uh, other people from around the nation that are coming in as a team to try and just bring some light to the darkness in uh, in New Orleans during the uh, Mardi Gras festivities. Uh, a lot of things go on there that, uh, that would remind you of Sodom and Gomorrah, I think. Uh, so it is a dark place, and you know, it sounds like fun, and it's a really Sounds like a cool place, and I again, I, no judgment, no disparaging to anybody that goes to any Christian that goes there for the fun and for the parties. Uh, but I would advise and pray that you would be careful what you see, be careful what you partake in, and be careful of what you bring home with you. Uh, so that's just uh, why this is pre-recorded. Uh, pray for us, and, and uh, you know, if you want to leave encouraging words here on this uh, on the uh, the thread for the live stream. Uh, definitely would appreciate that as well. Uh, so uh, many of you know that uh, part of Gifts for Glory is well-versed comedy. We're in our team t-shirt, random acts of funny, well-versed comedy. Uh, we do uh, improv uh, sketch, and um, and there's also some stand-up that we do. And it's all about bringing people together to have a great time, to forget about our troubles, to leave our burdens at the door. Uh, and, and here's here's my philosophy on comedy. When you get a group of people together, 500 strangers laughing together. They never knew each other before the show. But when they laugh together, there's a bond that happens. There's an understanding. There's a community that happens. Because when you laugh at something as a group, you realize that you have something in common with the other people in the group. So when you're laughing, when you're enjoying comedy together, you no longer feel alone. You're no longer by yourself. And God made us, He designed us for community, He designed us to be together. One of the uh, one of our favorite verses uh, for those that go to church, we love Hebrews 11:25 talks about you know, ne- don't be like the others and neglect the gathering. We're designed for community. That's why Jesus tells us where two or three are gathered, the Lord is among them because we're yes, we do have p- solitary prayer time. We have solitary moments. We have times where we go away to our quiet place, but we're designed for community. and that's what that's what comedy does. That's what well verse comedy is all about is bringing people together. Uh, strangers together in one room to laugh together, to realize that there's something more to life that, than the things that you see, the things that, that you feel uh, as well. They're more than the burdens that you carry. And for 90 minutes or, or two hours or whatever the show length is, for that time, Wolver's comedy loves. we love when we're able to see people shed those burdens, even just for a moment and realize that there's something more. And also think about it, when you have a really deep, gut-busting laugh. You might come down a little bit, but eventually your head comes up and your head rises up. Your eyes rise up beyond what you see. And you realize that there's hope. There's something more. There's something more to this life. And that's what we want to do with Well verse Comedy. We, and we love to use our gifts, our talents, and our passions and comedy to bless others. And part of that is Uh, And I don't say this to, uh, I'm not tooting our own horn. I just wanted to let you know that we believe in this cause. We believe in Royal Family Kids Camps. Uh, There's chapters all over the country. And uh, we are uh, doing three shows this spring to raise uh, money for Royal Family Kids Camps. Uh, And we're donating our time. And and again, not to toot our own horn, but we want you to know that we believe in this cause. We believe in what Royal Family Kids Camps do. Uh, We're doing our uh, first show is actually coming up on March 4th. And uh, that is um, March 4th up in uh, R- uh, Racine, uh, Wisconsin. It's the Royal Family Kids Gala. It's our second annual gala for RFK Racine. Uh, you can find information at racine-rfk.org. Now, as you're watching this on Monday the 20th, or as you're listening to this on Wednesday, the, uh, I guess that would be the 22nd, uh, the tickets uh, have closed as far as their sales are asking that uh, tickets be uh, sold. purchased by february 18th 2023 so you might be a little bit late but it doesn't hurt to ask if you want to reach out to um uh to susan or chris at uh, rfk uh racine and see if you can still get a last minute ticket to the gala coming up on march 4th uh that's at the roma lodge in on uh, spring uh street in mount pleasant just outside of racine so i hope that uh that you'll be able to come out tickets are 40 dollars a person but it supports Royal Family Kids Camp, and if, you, if you're not familiar with Royal Family Kids Camp, uh, RFK is about bringing kids who are in the foster care system who are often forgotten about, who are often just a number, uh, and uh, bringing them to a camp where they're treated like royalty. They're treated like uh, princes and princesses they are. Uh, they're showered with love, with gifts, with attention, with fun, and they're uh, reminded of who they are in Christ. So the RFK uh, ga- uh, gala in uh, Racine is on the fourth, and then uh, we are also doing a, a fundraiser for RFK on March 25th, and that's in Orland Park, Illinois. And that uh, that show is for um, uh, the RFK Orland Park Camp, which is uh, uh, this is our second year going to Stone Church in uh, our in um, uh, excuse me in uh, Orland Park. Uh, last, <clears throat> You see a couple of photos in the collage there, uh, for those that are watching. Uh, we did a show last year. It was a s- so much fun. Uh, Shine FM came, and if you look in the bottom right-hand corner photo, uh, you'll see uh, Christy and Brooke with uh, two of uh, uh, the on-air personalities from uh, Shine FM uh, joining us on stage la- at last year's show. So uh, those tickets you can get at rfkorlandpark.eventbrite.com. And again, uh, just like the uh, RFK Gala up in Racine, uh, this show uh, we're donating our time and our efforts and, our, and all of our uh, promotional stuff to try and raise money for the camp. It's all donated. Everything that's raised um, will go directly to the uh, to the camp this summer for RFK uh, Orland Park. And then on April 1st, we're partnering with uh, uh, the Braggies players. Uh, they're uh, located at uh, Taft. Uh, foundation in Lockport, Illinois. And the ragged players is a, um, a children's and youth theater. Uh, giving them uh, exposure to being on stage with a professionally run, uh, theater program to give them a taste of running all aspects of the theater, uh, in front of uh, the crowd, behind the scenes, all that. So, uh, we're, uh, partnering with them. Uh, and by partnering with them, we're splitting the, uh, the tickets. They're doing a bake sale, and uh, RFK is also doing a, a silent auction that night, and it's all going to support kids, uh, different uh, avenues for kids. Uh, most importantly, for me personally, it's the uh, supporting of RFK Lockport. That's going to be April first. Uh, so uh, look for Aprilfulan.eventbrite.com, Aprilfulan.eventbrite.com for uh, that um, uh, for tickets to that event. Uh, and again, all ticket sales, all of those goes directly to RFK uh, to each chapter. Uh, none of it comes to us and uh, that, again, that's not tuning our home. that's a horn. That's us just wanting you to know that if you support this, all of your money is going to the organization and we believe in these organizations so much that we're willing to to give uh, of our time, our talent and uh, and really just uh, try to make it an impact for uh, for the kingdom. Through Royal Family Kids camps. Now I will tell you, if you are in the Racine area, if you're in Oleana Park, if you're in Lockport, and you're somebody that would like to uh, to be a part of the camp and serve these kids, give them love, uh, some supervision, obviously, and and help uh, break some chains, break some generational curses, uh, break down the lies and schemes of the enemy. If you're interested, uh, go to each any of these websites or Facebook pages. And connect with uh, that local rfk chapter rfk is a subsidiary and is underneath uh, the organization for the children uh, which is the umbrella under which rfk operates because rfk became so much more than just a camp it became a a mentorship program so they rebranded as for the children uh, for everything they do but they're still royal family kids camps and i hope that you'll be willing to uh, come out and support Uh, any or all of these shows i know that it's kind of a spread to go from uh, racine to orland park down to uh, lockport Uh, but at the lockport show shine fm will be joining us for the april fool and comedy show so it's gonna be a lot of fun so those are three big events that we have coming up for uh well comedy if you're interested in booking us uh for your event your fundraiser your date night event Uh, we just had a very successful day night event in saint charles And uh, we would love to uh, bring comedy to your church, your ministry, your business, uh, your theater, whatever that that you have a need for live entertainment that's going to be interactive, energetic, that's going to be a lot of fun. Please get in contact with us, uh, improv at wellversedcomedy.com, improv at wellversedcomedy.com, or uh, you can uh, message us on our Facebook page. Uh, Look for us at wellversedcmdy.com at Well-versed cmdy And I'm just repeating that in case you can't see the show notes or also if you're listening on uh, our podcast, uh, because we do release this uh, video podcast as an audio podcast on Wednesdays. So uh, just want to repeat that, make sure everyone gets a chance to to hear the, uh, the information. And I want to go into uh, uh, devotion with Dave's segment. Uh, now, if you've read the show notes or you checked out what the show is about, uh, tonight's going to be a little bit different. Tonight is not about uh, our guest. Uh, I'm actually pre-recording this, and I want to share my testimony, my story. So we're going to start off with a Devotions with Dave segment and then dive right into uh, my story. So our Devotions with Dave segment uh, is coming, uh, actually, two verses uh, tonight. So two for the price of one. Uh, Let me pull that up here. And our first verse, uh, did it last week, for those that were with us last week, with uh, Eric Stevens. Uh, But this week, I want to bring it back again because it's kind of a uh, an important verse that goes along with my testimony and story. So the first verse of tonight is Isaiah 6, 8. Uh, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. And then Revelation 12, 11, uh, also from the NLT version. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. So those are our two verses for tonight, Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send for us? Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Revelation twelve eleven, And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. So those are our two verses for tonight. And I just want to encourage you that the Lord has a calling for everybody. The Lord is calling you to something. The Lord is calling you to serve in some way. Uh, And it could be uh, something that you really enjoy. It could be uh, something that goes along with the talents, the skills, the things that you love, the things that you're passionate about. Or he could be calling you to something that's going to stretch you. And it could be a little bit of both, or it could be a lot of both. It could be something you're passionate about and something that's going to stretch you. But he's calling you. He has a purpose for you. Nobody is a mistake. There is not one person that was born, that has been born, or that will be born. That is a mistake. God has a calling on their life. God has a plan for their life. God has a will for their life. It's just whether or not they want to or you want to answer that call or step into that purpose. And I'll tell you that there's nothing more fulfilling in this life than answering your calling, fulfilling your purpose. When you're walking in that place of knowing, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You have immediate self-esteem improvement. You have immediate self-worth. You have immediate confidence. Not that you don't have weak moments. Not that you don't fall on your face occasionally. But all in all, by and by, you feel you're where you're supposed to be. And that is one of the most blessed feelings to ever have is to know that you are where you're supposed to be. So when the Lord is knocking on your heart, and he's asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? And and that could be going overseas on missions. That could be just going to the downtown city area and talking to homeless people. That could be serving men and women and children who have survived trafficking. That could be... As simple as serving in a soup kitchen once a month. Wherever God is sending you, be willing to stand up and say, here I am, send me. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 8. It's very very much easier said than done, I know. But it gets easier with practice. It gets easier as you go. It's one of those things where the, the saying is, fake it till you make it. In the world uh, of following Christ, it's faith it. Faith it until you make it. Believe that even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel like it, even if you doubt your own ability to to succeed at the task, have faith that if God is calling you, he's going to use you and make it abundantly clear that he's called you. So faith it until you make it. Don't fake it until you make it. Faith it. Uh, So that's the first part of our devotion with Dave. second part is Revelation 12, 11, uh, where it says, And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the first thing. There's nothing above the blood of the Lamb, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There's nothing above that. But we defeat the enemy. We defeat our enemy, who is the enemy of God, Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, the devil, the demonic, whatever you want to call it. We can defeat him by the blood of the Lamb, number one. Number two is by our testimony. Some translations call it the word of their testimony. So, Jesus' actions are words, and we have the authority and the power and the ability to defeat Satan's efforts against us. We have that authority, but we got to use it. We got to take it. We got to step into it the blood of the lamb, and by their testimony. Now here's the thing. The, the verse continues, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. So you might think, in the, the human mind thinks that, well, death is the ultimate defeat. If we defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, then dying isn't an option or dying isn't part of that victory, right? It could be. Think about it, Jesus' death was the victory. Jesus' death and resurrection, that was the victory. He was willing to take the sin of the world to die and then to be raised again. He took a beating so vicious that it would it would kill almost anybody. But the love of God, the heart for his people, beat so strongly that nothing could kill him until. It was finished. And he finished it on Calvary, on that cross, as he bled every drop of blood he could. So the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, that's how we beat the enemy. But sometimes defeating the enemy could cause death on this side of eternity. But what a glorious death to die for our King. To die in a way that he died. Now, crucifixion does not necessarily happen, at least not very often in this world today. There are some who are very vicious and want to hurt people that that probably still do in places that we don't know about. But the thing is, we cannot love our lives on this side of eternity so much that we're afraid of death. Because if we truly love Jesus and truly follow Jesus, we have to find ourselves in a place where we don't fear death to the point of paralysis where we're unwilling to Luke 9:23 lay down our lives to follow him so uh, that's just a lot of scripture for uh, for the devotion with Dave segment and that's going to transition us into our um, uh, this is into uh, the heart of the show and that's my testimony. Uh, Many of you maybe have seen me on different shows or maybe you've heard me talk about uh, my testimony uh, through this podcast in in small snippets. But I wanted to take tonight and uh, I wanted to take this opportunity since I don't have a guest planned, since I'm out of town. I wanted to really uh, just take a moment and and share my story. Uh, And I'm uh, hoping that uh, that it would bless you. I hope that it would uh, encourage you. And I hope that. that somebody will will hear it and uh, even hearing it in passing, they will hear it and they'll be moved. Uh, And ultimately I hope that the word of my testimony could encourage somebody to find their own hope and their own redemption uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, So that's why we're, uh, why I'm doing it tonight. I hope that uh, you'll indulge me. Uh, Please, if you have any questions or concerns or anything that I say that you feel like maybe doesn't align with scripture. Yeah, you know, I'm imperfect. Something I may say, I may get on a roll and, and, and misspeak, or I may say something that I don't understand fully. And uh, if you feel like something crosses a line, please let me know. And and I definitely would love to have that a conversation with you. Uh, also, if uh, there's something I say that encourages you, that blesses you, uh, that uh, inspires in some way, shape or form, please let me know let's have a conversation if in also if there's anything i say that strikes a chord in you and you have questions about faith questions about your journey please please email me get in touch with uh with me uh, my email address is dave at gifts dave at gifts for the number for glory.com david gifts it's in the uh, the show notes uh, you also find us, Gifts for Going Ministries, on Facebook, and uh, message uh, the page, and I would definitely love to chat with you uh, in any way, shape, or form. So let's get to my uh, testimony. Um, for better or for worse, uh, it was not a Christian home. We thought ourselves Christian, um, but we didn't regularly attend church. Prayer wasn't a, a, a real part of it. Bible reading certainly wasn't a part of it, and I kind of... Grew up with this idea that as long as we're good enough, as long as we hit, you know, seventy-five percent on the Ten Commandments, you know, as long as I didn't kill anybody, as long as I didn't have an affair, uh, as long as I didn't, you know, steal from my neighbor, uh, you know, things like that. If if I hit about seven fifty out of the the Ten Commandments, then I, you know, that's a passing grade. I should get in heaven. I also believe that there, I I believed as a kid that there was no way to know uh, if you're going to heaven. I I think that, or I thought that there was a lot of question, a lot of doubt that part of the mysterious way God works was you might, you might not make it. Uh, Nobody knows for sure until you get to those gates. And, uh, and, you know, St. Peter's there checking you out on the list. I, I had a lot of misgivings and misunderstandings growing up about what Christianity was um growing up I also or as a kid the first time I heard about baptism I I heard somebody explain it that the pastor holds you under and Jesus saves you or the the batter puts you the the pastor puts you underwater and then Jesus saves you in that description having no biblical knowledge at 19 years old I thought that literally a pastor would hold you underwater and you would be saved by Jesus or not uh, so obviously a very skewed look at, at baptism and at faith. Um, I had, a, uh, I had an uncle that was a, uh, a pastor. Um, unfortunately uh, things did not work out with, uh, with that career choice and, and, uh, he ended up falling away. I, I hope, and I pray that, uh, before he passed that, that he was reconciled with the Lord, but, uh, he was my hero growing up and so i thought because of him i thought okay i'm gonna do what he does i'm gonna be a pastor when i grow up um but i had no idea what that meant i had no idea what that looked like Um, my church had a few uh decent pastors come and go but uh, unfortunately humans run churches and humans make mistakes humans have pride issues humans have uh issues of faith and So, uh, for various reasons, the pastors that would have poured into me, that would have discipled me and helped me find the right way, they were quickly removed and replaced with somebody that uh, that seemed to take more care of the uh, the older congregation and not so much pour into the kids. Um. So, uh, but I, I you know, that that also is not to disparage. It's just the culture, the different ways of thinking but i will give them credit that the church did send uh, my sister and i to summer camps and it was at uh, a sixth grade sports camp uh church camp over the summer that i went to a, uh we went to what they called vespers which was uh, the nightly devotions around a campfire and thursday night the day before we we're supposed to leave i remember feeling the the tug on the heartstrings the the, the tugging on the heart that jesus was trying to get a hold of me but i was in uh i was going into sixth grade i didn't have a lot of biblical knowledge didn't have a lot of knowledge of who jesus was but i knew that jesus was reaching out to me so i remember just that dark night walking up the gravel hill passing the uh uh, the hall where we had lunch on our way to the cabins and i was by myself not completely because their kids in front and then counselors around, but I was walking alone in, in the group and I said the, said uh, the sinner's prayer. I said, Jesus come into my heart. Uh, and I, I want to be a Christian. So the fact that I remember the moment, I can't tell you the day. I can't tell you, I mean, it was summer uh, before my sixth grade year. I can't tell you a lot of the specifics. I did write it down in my Bible that was given to me, uh, a few years later, uh, because I, I remember the date for a couple of years, but I, I can't remember now, uh, almost uh, 35 years later. Wow. Um, but I remember the prayer. So I believe that that was a moment of my salvation. Now, after that, because of the culture that I grew up in, um, I was never discipled. I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. We like I said, we had pastors that came and went. They tried to pour into the kids. They tried to start youth centers and things like that, but there wasn't a lot of support. There was actually a lot of um, resistance. And it's the old thinking of kids should be seen, not heard. Kids should be only heard on Christmas when they're doing the, uh, the plays at the front of the church or, you know, the specials at the front of the church. So unfortunately, Whatever seed was planted the day that night uh, that I was walking to my cabin, it lay dormant in many ways. I believe myself to be a Christian, but that that seed never grew. And because I'd never had that seed grow, I never had the anchor to deal with the things that I had to deal with it, uh, as a teenager. Um, for uh, many years of, uh, of my life, I saw my dad slowly fade away. Uh, He was a Vietnam veteran and uh, in his time in country in Vietnam, he was around just enough of that ancient orange chemical that it wrecked wrecked his body. He went from somebody that was very healthy, strong, working with his hands, uh, man in, in the city of Chicago at age 30 to pretty much fully disabled by the age of 40. And um, we lived in Chicago, and and, uh, after his third heart attack, we had to move to something that's going to be a slower-paced lifestyle because living in the city is a very high-paced, high-stress-level way to live. And with the stress on him and the way his body was starting to deteriorate, he had to leave the city, otherwise he had about six months to live. So the miracle is that by moving, despite... Uh, some stories that I won't, you know, I won't share here because I, you know, as a kid, I don't know all the details. I just know kind of the bits and pieces. But there are a lot of stressors that that my mom and my dad went through outside of his health that that he dealt with. But he was still able, by God's grace, to turn six months into almost twenty-two years. So he moved down south, and as I enter into my uh, my adolescence. Again, I I don't have a grounding or a firm root in faith, so um, I don't know how to deal. I don't know how to handle seeing my dad fade away, to see his physical abilities fade away, to see his ability to have catch, to see his ability to walk and and hang out with me. Our hangouts usually ended up me being the, the, the holder of the flashlight. And many guys my age and older will know what that means. Um, and there is never the perfect way to hold the flashlight. There's never the perfect way to hand, hand over the, uh, the 10 millimeter or the the three fourths, whatever, while holding the flashlight, there's never a perfect way. And, and in his, you know, struggles with physical abilities. as he faded, you know, he, he became angrier and, uh, yeah, so our relationship had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of downs, and uh, again, none of thing, nothing I'm saying is here to disparage, or insult, or mock, or um, belittle anybody that has been in my life. Uh, this is my story, this is my testimony, this is my my journey to faith. So as my dad is is fading and he's struggling to handle it, I as somebody that's entering my teenage years and you know all the weird things that go on in a kid when they enter teenage years all that and i had a very idealized sense of what my life is supposed to look like i'm supposed to be the star in the football team i'm supposed to be a star on the basketball team i'm supposed to have uh the pretty girl the, the star of the cheerleading squad you know all these kind of things and I thought that you know, if I'm just vulnerable and I lay myself out there, and I just you know, write the sweetest poems and the sweetest letters that that she would be mine and things would be great. That doesn't work in high school. <laughs> that does not work uh, because you've got hundreds of kids that are dealing with weird things going on in their lives, broken homes, or or just the normal growth of adolescence and. And the body changing, the hormones and things changing. Being a super mushy romantic in high school, you're setting yourself up. So if anybody is out there and you're you just happen to hear this and you're a teenager, take it slow, be careful, protect yourself, and you know, pray before you start writing these mushy love letters because it it set me up for failure and mockery and jokes. Um, So add all that together. And by the time I was a sophomore going to my junior year in high school, I was in a full blown depression. Uh, I wanted to be loved. I wanted the right girl. I wanted the cute girl. I wanted the girl that everybody else wanted. I wanted to prove that I was capable uh, of doing that. And unfortunately, I was not. And I had a lot of wrong thinking. And that all added with with my dad's sickness kind of ended up with me being in a full-blown depression. And uh, for for many years, I thought weekly, at least, if not daily, of ways to end it, to silence the pain, to put it away, to, to... in my life and all the while i knew something was wrong i knew it was wrong to feel this way i knew that i was in a bad way but i didn't know how to ask for help because i didn't want to shame anybody i didn't want anybody to worry i didn't want to be a burden to anybody so i never told anybody what i was going through uh all you know through high school into college I kept it myself and that whole time I used the same f- things that I was doing because all my life I tried to entertain people uh, one of the earliest pictures of me was when I was about two years old my little chubby uh, pot belly my flabby little arms at two years old flexing because there was a bodybuilding competition at the pool we were at and I was like I'm not gonna be shown up by these guys I'm gonna entertain my pa- my parents and their friends. And so I started flexing for them and they, and a the little Polaroid picture of me flexing. And, um, you know, it, from there on, I was always somebody that tried to entertain the people around me doing silly jokes. There's even a story that was told to me of one time we were at this family picnic and I was maybe two, two or three, maybe, you know, two, and three seems to be like a very formative time for me for, as far as my comedy. But I was, maybe one years old, but very little. I was still being held by my folks, you know, carried around. And I thought it'd be hilarious. And I apparently dumped an entire can of Coke on my dad's head. He wasn't happy,
1: but everybody else
0: was. So I loved laughter. I loved instinctively. I loved the joy that laughter could bring. And so all my life, I use comedy just to entertain people, to make the the room feel better, uh, to encourage. <coughs> excuse me, uh, to just encourage people. And so when I got into that deep depression, excuse me, I, my, I'm getting dry, so I'm going to throw in a cough drop here. Recording this in one take, so because I'm an improviser, I don't do multiple takes. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I um, was always using comedy uh, as a way to entertain people. But when I entered to the deep depression, it went from something pure and something of joy to something of a defense mechanism. I was wanting to make sure nobody felt what I felt. I was wanting to make sure that if I could make you laugh, I, I knew instinctively that you would not feel as dark and as, and as much pain as I felt. And if I could do that, I could justify my existence i could justify not taking my life because hey hey voices in my head stop telling me to kill myself because hey look i've added this to the world people care <coughs> people care people see value in me and so for many years through the last couple of years of high school four years of college I was using comedy, self-deprecating humor, uh, jokes in the middle of class, jokes at the lunch table, jokes walking around, jokes while we're shooting basketball. Finding It was really cool as you look back, you see how God was developing skills in me through that. Even though I'd walked away from him and I was blaming him for many of the things wrong in my life. God was still building skills in me. I developed an instinct to feel the temperature of the room. I I, I developed an instinct to and a sensitivity for other people who are struggling and knowing that they needed just a moment, just a respite, just a break from reality through through a joke or through some comedy. So God gave me that ability and, and developed that talent in me through all of this. So the whole time I'm thinking of like, I've got to do something to warrant my existence. And there were times where I failed. There were times where i said a bad joke or I embarrassed myself or I went too far and I hurt somebody or I did something that just didn't work. And those days and weeks were the ones where the voices were the loudest. They were like, see, see, you have nothing to offer. I've battled that for many years. The thought of suicide. The the one there are two times that I opened up asking for help. One, very ill advised. Uh, shockingly, you know, I don't know, stop the presses. Maybe you'll stop the show. But I did drink occasionally in, in college. And one night, partying, drinking, everything under the sun in college. Um I open up to a friend of mine. We're both inebriated. Um, and so I said, you know, man, I'm depressed. I think about suicide. I just don't think I got value. The worst time to open up. So my, my inebriated friend responds, come on, big daddy. That's, that's wrong. That's stupid. Of you to think that, you know, and he was right. But in my double altered mindset of being inebriated and in depression. The one word I hung on to was stupid. Yeah, I am stupid. I am stupid. And so that became another chink in the arm. And that became another reason for me to feel the way I was feeling. So highly recommend against the idea of opening up about a depression or something weighing on you at a college party or at a party where people are all inebriated, you're not gonna get the best advice. And even if you got the greatest advice, you might not remember it. So that's just my warning there. The second time I opened up about my depression it was actually right after my uh first or my my first marriage ended. Um and um so that story is all about me not recognizing red flags. Also mean not being in a, in a place where I could truly be a husband. Again, it was another situation where I was just trying to prove that someone would love me. And unfortunately, that love lasted right up to the wedding. And then as soon as we got back from the honeymoon, everything really fell apart. There were a lot of red flags going into the wedding. But I thought, hey, that those are just lies that's trying to distract us from what we're about to do. Let's get married. So I pushed through the marriage, and um, we got married August 26, 2006. Filed for divorce December 26, 2006. Could make four months together uh, as a married couple. A lot of a lot of problems with the marriage. A lot of red flags. Um, and it was, yeah. You know, as a man, I take responsibility for what I did wrong to force the 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 marriage to happen even though there are so many red flags and also uh, for not finding a way to, to make it work because it takes two and uh, you know, we'll just leave it at that. So after my marriage fails, it's uh, 2007 uh, the, the divorce is finalized. And uh, so I go to uh, my doctor and I said, you know, I'm wrestling. I am really wrestling and I would love to find some help. And so he recommended me to a therapist, and I went to that therapist. And at this time, uh, my comedy has transitioned into pro wrestling. Pro wrestling was my outlet—dressing uh, up in in uh, tights and and getting in a ring and falling down a few times a night uh, on weekends. That that was my outlet. I was entertaining people. I was thriving off the crowd. I was bringing people together as part of the show. Uh, so that was my thing. Uh, so I go to this therapist and I start talking about what I'm doing that I like, that I enjoy. And then he spends the next 30 minutes of that uh, session saying, well, see, you've got this, 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 this. There's no reason for you to be depressed. You have no reason to be upset. You have no reason to think suicide because you got all this good stuff going on. And I'm like, I know. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm asking for your help. I know this. So twice I, I opened up about what I was going through and both times were utter failures. And so I I packed it back in. So this was about 2007 I'm seeing this this therapist. Uh saw him once didn't pay the copay. <laughs> no sir. Uh probably should have that would have been the honest thing to do. But uh so you keep going forward. Um I'm still wrestling. I, I'm still not able to open up because I don't know who to, to who to tell, and I'm blaming God at every turn for everything that goes wrong. I'm like, God, just leave me alone. Uh, I'm cursing God left and right for for interfering and not let me just live my life the way I want to. Um. So then, 2011 happens, or 2010, excuse me. My dad finally passes away, and I, I not finally, but he passes away because he's been wrestling for 22 years. With a failing body and finally his body gave out and uh and he passed away um so then i um yeah i I mourned my dad's passing and i tried to escape everything that all the voices all the depression again and i moved to florida for about a year but i wasn't healthy yet i was not healthy i did not know the lord in a way that would would bring me health and I made a lot of mistakes uh, in Florida at, at the, the place I worked at. Um, so I ended up getting fired from that job, moved back home with my mom. And we, uh, uh, we were starting over kind of together uh, a year after she was left by herself, which you know shows where I was. Um, we started together at, um, in an apartment. And I started a job at a radio station. I I took a job as a full time midday DJ on the on a strong signal radio station that covered almost all of West Virginia. I was going to be a star. I was again performing. I was again in front of people to entertain. This is where my this is where life is supposed to be. About a weekend, uh, the general manager says, "You know what, Dave." I really like you. Um, I want you to move over to the AM station from 100,000 watts to 500 watt station. Uh, that's kind of like going from the penthouse to the basement. Uh, I got demoted because there was a very flirty young lady that wanted to be a radio DJ. And the young flirty lady won the, um, the respect of the general manager. And she got the spot. I got moved over to the AM station. It was clearly a demotion. It was clearly a, a loss, uh, career wise. Because I went from a part, you know, it was full time hours to a part time pay. Uh, and I went from something that was like promising to something that's like, ah, this is the end of the road. There's no going back. There's no moving up. Um, and I was sat behind that desk and I worked there for another two years. And the thing is, God was at work on this. This was not a demotion that was a punishment. This was a demotion that was a protection. For two years, I worked on an AM station that was a solid gospel station. So my job was to listen and put on and play Christian programming, Christian pastors, uh, Christian music. That was my job. I was being fed even though I didn't know. I was having seeds planted and watered even though I didn't know. God was at work in that. And as the, the those two years started coming to an end, which I didn't know they were coming to an end, but it, but God did. And you know, I saw so many things looking back that it was God reaching out, trying to tell me, I'm not home. Also, I'm not in my temporary home either. Uh, my truck got broken into on two separate occasions with nothing stolen The only thing lost was was a driver's side window that was busted open so they could break in. Nothing was stolen. Uh, Stuff was messed around. They were looking for something. But nothing was stolen. All they lost was a driver's side window. That happened twice. Once before Thanksgiving 2012. Once before Christmas 2012. Um, Also, the radio station got bought out. And the new bosses didn't know me, didn't have any liking for me so there was no opportunity for me to move up in that radio station in fact at one point i offered to help out with an event and i said hey i I, i've done broadcasting i've done sportscasting i would love to be a part of the team that broadcasts this event and uh, they said well if you really want to help uh we need a we need the mascot down there and that was like another jab in the butt here's the thing god was still at work There was a Saturday morning in January of 2013. I'm walking to work. I'm supposed to be there at 9 o'clock. This is 8.58 in the morning. There's no reason for these two kids to be there. But there are two kids from a local Bible college there. And they're passing out tracts. And they were telling uh, and offering prayer to whoever walked by. But there's nobody to walk by there. It was Saturday morning, very low populated downtown area. But they're there to pass out tracts. So they stopped me and I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm good. You know, I pray all the time. I'm Christian. Yes. You know, I did the whole thing to to blow them off because I had two minutes to walk, five minutes to work. But um, they handed me the tract and I went on to work. But the message was clear God was literally reaching out to me. So I come home, I start reading Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life for the first time. I had it for about six years. Cracked it once, but like, oh, 40 days of devotion? That That's weird. Close it back. Uh, so I finally started reading that book in earnest. I started reading uh, a, a discount bookstore, King James Version of the Bible. And I was so interested, I actually made it all the way through numbers in the King James Version before I started to realize there are easier ways and more uh, understandable ways to study God's word. And then I started praying and praying in earnest and started uh, to uh, just turn my life over. And God showed me that what I was doing in using comedy to hide myself, he now wanted me to use comedy to reveal him. He wanted me to to use comedy to make people feel better. He wanted me to use comedy as a way to improve people's lives, but not for the purposes that that were selfish and that were self-serving in me. But so that people could come together and know that there is a God in heaven that loves them. And so he flipped the switch. Uh, A couple weeks later, my sister offered me a place to stay, and I started completely over on her couch in uh, Chicago in uh, 2013. I started uh, uh, Ha 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 Men, which later became Wellverse Comedy and Improv Ministry. And it's all about redeeming the time that I lost to to suicidal thoughts to depression, God is redeeming that right now. The sensitivities and the understandings and the ability to read a room. Those are gifts that God has developed in me so that I can be funny in in a room of strangers and break the tension and, eventually hopefully show people that there's a reason I do clean comedy. There's a reason that I go up on stage and make a fool of myself. It's because somebody made a fool of themselves 2000 years ago by being beaten and then nailed to a cross and then dying, rising up on the third day. Now there's so much more to my story. I, I'm running out of time, uh, but I just, you know, the, the one part of my story I, I left out that I tell in most podcasts that I appear on in about 2011, I'm working uh, part time at the radio station and I'm also working part time at an answering service. And I'm driving home really early one morning, or it might have been really late. It, it was dark and it was late. And it was a time where, you know, people fall asleep at the wheel. So I'm driving home in West Virginia. There's a uh, this one road that connects uh, Bramwell, West Virginia with Pocahontas, Virginia. It goes up over a mountain. And not every one of the curves has guardrail. So I got to one of those sharp curves that goes sharp to the right. And there's no guardrail. So this is a moment of, of my weakness and my frustration, and I cried out to God. I said, God, if you're real, God, if you want me to live, if you don't want me to do this, do or say something. Now, Pure Flix or, or the Hallmark Channel, they might show this scene where all of a sudden the sky lights up and the angels come singing a song, and, and, and all of a sudden it, it's this miracle moment where I start weeping that God's there. But instead, I felt like God pulled away. And you know what happened? I got mad. I got mad. I was like, God, why didn't you give me that holy moment? Why didn't you open the skies and come down? Why? I got mad. And I went home. But I went home. I cursed God. I got so mad. I, I yelled. I flipped him off through the roof of my car. But I went home. And it was another moment where God was willing to lay himself down and absorb the blows. He's willing to take my anger and my hatred in that moment because that's when I needed to go home. I didn't wake up the next day with you know the birds chirping and realizing, oh, God loves me. That was a few more months to go, uh actually another year and a half to go, because it wasn't until those kids st- uh stopped me and handed me a Bible tract and said, Dave, you know, God loves you. They didn't know my name, but God was saying. Dave, I love you. I'm reaching out to you. Answer the call. And I did. And my life has been getting better ever since. There are still moments. Life isn't perfect. Just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're saying no to everything else in life. There there are challenges. There are still moments where the pain kind of comes back. Where like the shadows of of the depression come back in many ways. I feel like it's the thorn in the flesh that Paul experienced. Yes. I'm delivered and I'm free from depression, but there are still moments where it kind of comes back where the enemy presses those buttons. It's almost like I have some deep scars and the enemy is able to just prick those little scars. And when they become tender, that's when some of those feelings come back, but they're almost there. It's almost like shadows of those pains. So I still have the thorn in the flesh and I still struggle from time to time. But God is good. God is redeemer. God is using me in in ways to make a difference. I'm using comedy to minister to women who survived sex trafficking. And as we wrap up, this is leading to my next journey. My wife and I are in the process of applying to be U.S. missionaries and we're going to use improv and comedy to minister to women who've survived sex trafficking, to men who survived, to children who've survived trafficking, and use humor as a way to unlock the person that they've had to lock away to protect themselves to survive, to de- discover their own voice, to improve their communication, and if nothing else, to, to laugh like a little kid again. And that's what we're gonna be doing is using improv for that because the day I got laid off from my job, God gave me a gift. I led a a workshop for women who survived sex trafficking, and God moved in such a way that those ladies were free to share their testimony for the first time. At the moment, I thought, well, maybe God is like, give me a pat on the back saying it's going to be okay because I got laid off. But it was God showing me the new direction uh, of my life and my wife's life that we're going to use comedy. We're going to use improv. As a way to improve people's lives, to improve their outlook on life. And so I'll be talking more about this as we get closer to the uh, full appointment, but God's got me on a new path. And that's why I chose the verses that I did tonight. Um, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. So that is. My story, in a nutshell, in uh, 56 minutes or whatever it was that I actually spoke about my story. But that's my story. There's so much more about it. And uh, yeah, probably be a book eventually. Who knows? Uh, depends on uh, how long the Lord tarries. But the thing is, I just want to leave you with this, this message as we wrap up. If you are somebody that is wrestling with depression, you're wrestling with the idea of suicide, and you need someone to talk to, Somebody's going to be objective, Somebody's not going to uh, feel pain or shame, but somebody that can walk with you through that valley, I, I I would like to be that person. If you need somebody to talk to, somebody that's going to listen, I would like to be that person. Send me an email. Email me, Dave at giftsforglory.com. Dave at giftsforglory.com. Message me through the Facebook page or, or however you want to get in contact with me. Let's walk through that valley together. Uh, I would be honored, and I'm not going to copy and paste a bunch of uh, uh, platitudes or scripture. I'm going to be a real person with you because I know that I needed somebody objective to talk to me and talk with me through that. And it would have saved a lot of pain, a lot of time, possibly would have prevented a a first marriage. But I want to be there for you. So please, anytime, email me, Dave at giftsforglory.com, Dave at giftsforglory.com. Uh, so that is going to be our show for the night because I have to keep it under an hour so that the pre-recorded uh, episode can go out. Uh, have a blessed rest of your day, a blessed rest of your night, and uh, we will talk to you again in March here on Gifts for Glory.